Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I say no You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. I am here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, actors are still on strike, including in Nashville, Tennessee. We bring you an update on that. Uh, We bring you the Boss Watch, a new regular segment uh, that we are doing every week. UPS has bowed to pressure and is slinking back to the negotiating table with the Teamsters. All that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number and the line is open. That phone number is 844-899-8857. That is 844-899-TVLR. You can also leave leave us a voicemail throughout the week or send us a text message. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online. In particular, you want to go to our website, tvlr.fm, and bookmark that. Sign up for our newsletter so that we can send you uh, uh, so we can send you notes. Let you know what we're up to. Really good stuff. But we are also, of course, on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Twitch, YouTube. All of those places, um, you get, just got to search for The Valley Labor Report. Uh, just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Uh, we absolutely could not be on the air without our listener uh, listeners that support the show. You can do that at tvlr.fm slash donate. You can make a one-time donation, or you can uh, sign up for automatic recurring payments. Uh, that way, we have a continuous uh steady stream of revenue um it's really important to keep the show going and we really appreciate everybody that is already doing that all 60 70 of you uh pretty cool have 60 70 folks uh that that think the show is is good enough to uh support financially i will say we've got a thousand more subscribers on youtube this month and as far as I can tell, only one or two new uh, monthly donors. So let's get those numbers up, folks, if we can. Um, you can also buy our new merch. Uh, it's really, really cool. It is the Join a Union or the Boss Will Get You Tea. We have uh, redesigned it. We've redesigned it, and I can sh- I'm can. i showing you a uh, picture on my phone there. See that? It's redesigned, you can tell. Um, and also... It is with a new vendor. If you got the previous Join a Union shirt, um, 
then uh, then you may still want to check out this one uh, because it, it is with a new vendor. We think that the material is very much superior. Uh, this is the vendor that we used for the Good Things design. Um, it's a lot softer. Um, and and we just we we really like it a lot better. And the uh uh the print, you know, if you got the first join a union shirt, the print was kind of like it was just kind of weird. It was kind of weird, it was kind of shiny. Not sure what the deal with that was. Uh but but um this is not going to be that way. It's going to be like a normal, you know, kind of graphic tee. So um, we're really excited about that. You can go to tvlr.fm slash store to pre-order that. Pre-orders are going to be open through August. They're going to be open through August. That You should be able to get them by sometime around mid-December, stuff like that. September. Uh, September. September, yeah, September, sorry. Um, Mid-September, uh, we also got some new stickers. We'll be mailing some of those out this week for people that have ordered. Uh, and we do have some of the Good Things shirts left in stock. We got like a couple of mediums, some larges, some extra larges. So check out the store, see the inventory there. Also, if you're a member of a union, then definitely think about getting your local to sponsor the show. We could not do it without our union sponsors. Absolutely. We really appreciate them. And let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. And I also want to just welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Unclaimed Mysteries Internet Radio, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. We are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check it out. Absolutely. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and, and jump into our first segment today. We're gearing up to begin uh, last week in Southern Labor. Uh, we're getting all of that ready. And, and I think we could begin that segment regularly again as early as next week. So we'll see. Um, don't, I, you know, don't hold your breath or anything, but, but that's kind of, that's kind of what I would like to see. Um, but in the meantime, while we wait to bring that segment back kind of in full force, we did take a look at some of the union elections that we've missed since we've stopped doing that segment in Alabama. And there have been, you know, there, there have been a, a good amount. And you know, that's one of the reasons that we liked that segment last week in Southern Labor uh, is to show that every, I mean, literally, literally every single week, there's something happening in the labor movement in the South, even if you just narrow it down to people voting in union elections. And then, of course, we know that outside of that, there's even more happening. People are filing grievances every day. People are winning back pay every day. People are getting their jobs back every day. This is something that happens every state in the country and in the South. And that's why we like this, this segment. Um, even if it is kind of limited in scope, it's just kind of illustrative of the reality uh, that, that there's lots happening. Workers are moving and, uh, and, and it's happening everywhere. So Absolutely. Let's, let's take a look at what uh, uh, some people are doing here in the state of Alabama in the last three months, two or three months. The International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, Iron Ship Builders, Blacksmiths, Forgers, and Helpers are working to secure representation of 10 employees at Birmingham Rail and Locomotive Company, according to a June 12 filing. A notice of the election was issued on June 23rd, so we will have to check back for results. 
As we previously reported on the Valley Labor Report, the Machinists Union attempted to unionize Aerojet Rocketdyne in Huntsville. According to the NLRB, the bargaining unit would have been 102 employees. Unfortunately, the workers did lose that election. In Selma, the CAW, CWA won a small shop election 3-1 to one, to represent four workers at Alliance Mobile. Incorporated. The election was certified on June 21st. As previously reported by Kim Kelly for the Valley Labor Report, the UMWA is facing a decertification attempt at Warrior Met Cole. You can check out her article on our website for more information on that. In April, RWDSU, the Retail Wholesale and Department Store Union, won six to one to represent Sterilite workers in uh, to represent workers at Sterilite of Alabama LLC in Birmingham. The United Association of Plumbers and Steamfitters, Local 52, filed to represent workers at Comfort Systems USA Mid-South in Montgomery, but later withdrew that petition. Similarly, UA Local 91 withdrew their petition to represent 18 workers at Blocks in Birmingham. The Valley Labor Report first broke the news of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters Local 402 winning a union election to represent nearly 200 school bus drivers in Huntsville. These drivers transport Huntsville City School students but are employed by a company named First Student Inc., which has a national contract with the Teamsters Union. Drivers voted to unionize with the Teamsters 131 to 6. International, Associate, uh, International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers filed but then withdrew a petition of representation at Aerosimulation Incorporated in Mobile. And finally, while outside of the NLRB, we wanted to draw attention to a win by the United Steelworkers at Carfare Manufacturing in Anniston. According to their press release, about 60 workers at Carfare Composites Incorporated in Anniston, Alabama, won union representation on February the 6th, with 98% of eligible workers affirming their decision to become members of the United Steelworkers Union. The car fare workers manufacture fiberglass reinforced polymer components to supply the transportation industry, including for hybrid and electric buses. They chose to join the United Steelworkers to gain a greater voice in decisions that impact their working conditions, wages, and benefits. Carfare, which is a subsidiary of New Flyer Industries, signed a neutrality agreement with the United Steelworkers last April, stating that they would not interfere with the union-building process if workers decided they wanted the benefits of collective bargaining. Carfare has two facilities in Wisconsin one and one in Minnesota, in addition to its Alabama factory. And according to our sources, workers at Carfare in Anniston recently secured a first contract. We've reached out to United Steelworkers to talk to some of the folks involved and learn a little bit more about that contract, and we'll keep you updated there. Uh, if we missed something, let us know. Reach out to us, tvlr.fm slash contact if you've got a union story a labor story in alabama or the broader south and we will make sure to uh put it in our uh in our regular roundup about what's going on down here here's another uh regular segment that we're going to be doing uh boss watch as we mentioned last week we want to regularly bring you this segment because uh every night on the nightly news, you're going to see some poor and working person's mugshot for a crime that they allegedly committed, whether that be uh, theft, um, 
uh, trespassing, something like this. Of course, when you get arrested, you have not been convicted. You're innocent until proven guilty, and yet your name and your face are splattered all over the evening news and online, and it has, in fact, impacted people's employment opportunities even when they have been acquitted or charges dropped, right? And so this is something that's happening every day, and yet... You don't see the same kind of thing happening to the bosses, who, by the way, it is a fact, steal more from workers than all other property crime combined when you take a look at wage theft, who kill almost as many people as are murdered in this country. The Alabama has a homicide rate of 6.2 per 100,000. Our death on the job rate? It's 5.5 per 100,000. So every time you see a murderer's mugshot, you should be seeing a boss's mugshot in the next segment. But you don't, and that's why we're here. Uh, this week, the choice was obvious and tragic. Uh, there's no way to segue into this terrible story of a 16-year-old dying on the job in Mississippi. And so before we even get into the details, let's just start. We're going to start by extending our love, our solidarity, and our sympathy to the family. Our labor movement needs to support the family and community however we can. Nobody should ever die on the job, and especially not a child. This young man should have been worried about his grades in school, going to high school sports games, going to prom, making friends, uh, and instead... The family has has to bury a child. It's uh, it, it's just really um, grievous, and uh, uh, I mean, just I, I you know, I, I can't, I can't imagine what they're going through. Um, I have uh, somebody in my life just recently died, but it was not on the job. Um, it, he was a young person, and uh, you know, and and the family is still, you know, that family is is obviously wrecked, and so I, I've kind of been able to you know, see pr recently the, the kind of sorrow and grief that, that a family has to go to when, when they, when they lose somebody so young. And, um, and, and it's just, it's really, really sad. And, and not, I mean, not one more child should have to die due to this, you know, reckless corporate greed. And yet, Republicans across the country are trying to make this kind of thing, this exact kind of thing easier. Right. So let's talk about it. From NPR, 16-year-old Duvon Robert Th uh, Thomas Perez died while on the job at the Marjack Poultry Plant in Hattiesburg, Mississippi last Friday. Forest County Deputy Coroner Lisa Clem confirmed the where and when of Perez's death, but said she couldn't release specific details at the request of the family. In a press release obtained by NPR, however, Marjack Poultry said that a sanitation employee in the plant suffered a fatal in in injury when he, quote, became entangled in one of the machines he was cleaning. According to the statement, the plant immediately notified the Occupational Safety and Health Administration and an investigation was launched with the company's full cooperation. We'll see if that's the case. The statement did not mention Perez by name. Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity spokesperson Jess Manriquez told NPR that Perez and his family are indigenous Guatemalans who immigrated approximately six years ago. She said that, quote, when workers are put in these conditions, uh, workers are put in these conditions that are truly deplorable. We've been hearing from folks on the ground that there is a lot of child labor that is happening at that poultry plant. So there's a lot that needs to be investigated. But right now, we just want to help this family through the process. 
The company in their statement said, quote, Marjack, Mississippi would never, never knowingly put any employee, and certainly not a minor, in harm's way. But it appears at this point in the investigation that this individual's age and identity were misrepresented in the paperwork. Um, uh, really kind of gross stuff, uh, you know, putting the blame on this child when you're a company. And, you know, the, uh, this, this kind of, I mean, we know that that's a lie, right? We would never put anybody in harm's way. We would never, uh, we would never employ a child. I mean, that's just, that's just, there's no way that you can believe that unless you were literally born yesterday and you have no idea of, you know, <laughs> the history of poultry plants, the way that they employ people, the conditions that people work in in poultry plants. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it's kind of, I mean, almost insulting to even put that kind of stuff out there, but that's where we are. NPR also notes that this was the third death at the Marjack plant in less than three years. According to an open OSHA case, a staff member died as a result of, quote, horseplay in December of 2020. The plant was fined $6,827. The Associated Press reported at the time that Joel Velasco, uh, Joe Velasco Toto uh, died from, quote, abdominal and pelvic trauma caused by a compressed air injury. Marjack was fined uh, $27,306 for another death in 2021, but the company is contesting those penalties, that death being 28-year-old Bobby Butler in an accident involving heavy machinery. Before those deaths, the Labor Department in 2009, this is from the Washington Post, before those deaths, the Labor Department proposed in 2009 $379,800 in penalties against Marjack after issuing 37 serious safety and health violations from a statement at that time, quote, Marjack poultry management should not wait until a serious injury or death occurs to any of its workers before making the necessary changes to its safety and health program. That company has offices in Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. Uh, and, and like I said at the top, this death of a 16-year-old of a boy who's in ninth grade, this guy was, th this kid was in ninth grade at his high school working at, at a poultry plant. This death comes just two weeks after another 16-year-old boy died in a workplace accident at a Wisconsin sawmill. Cases like these have reignited criticisms about the use of child labor as Republican lawmakers push to relax child protections despite a surge in high-profile cases involving mostly migrant children working in some of the nation's most dangerous industries, including explicitly, explicitly making it legal for children to work in dangerous industries such as coal mining. That's one of the things that they want to do. They want to make it legal for children to work in the coal mines again. They also want to, in Arkansas, one of the ways that they were relaxing child labor is negating a previous requirement to have parental consent, to have a parental consent form that mm. the parents have to sign. Who does it help employ children if you have one less piece of paper, one less piece of documentation? I mean, that kind of, that kind of bill is really better understood as, you know, a child trafficking bill. 
a bill to lessen enforcement on child trafficking. It's really kind of gross stuff. Yeah, it is. And, and like you said, we're seeing it in states all over the country. I know Iowa is having a lot of fights right now. Uh, and of course, Iowa has been home to some of these very same issues with child labor in the meatpacking industry. Uh, and, you know, we've seen reporting coming out of the New York Times about children working in, you know, state after state, including here in Alabama, uh, where children were, you know, working for Fruit of the Loom, I believe it mm. was. And then we also, of course, have had children working in the uh, Hyundai supply chain, uh, migrant children predominantly some of the most vulnerable folks in our society. And it's just, uh, you know, another symptom of this neo-gilded age that we're living through. And we thought in the labor movement that child labor was a battle that we had won. You know, we felt like we won that that fight many years ago, and here we are going backwards. Mm -hmm. And it's no coincidence that it's, you know, predominantly migrant children that are being exploited. Um, yeah, and we do have a we have a caller on the line for well, this. Well, yeah, well, really quickly, I did want to, you know, I just I I have to mention because we're a union radio show, and because because it it is a fact, and before I before I get into this, it's a fact that union workplaces are more safe. They are safer on average than non-union workplaces, but that's not magic right it's not you win a union election and then therefore by some you know ephemeral quality of being recognized by the government as a union then your workplace becomes safer it requires it requires dedication from the members and the leadership to make that so absolutely and turn like constant vigilance and yeah. organizing uh, ongoing efforts. It has to be a real priority. You have to have activity to yeah. make that happen. And while, of course, this death is mostly on the hands of the corporation, we do have to and, know. And the staffing agencies. And the staffing say, agencies. say that too. Uh, and the fact that the corporation even resorts to staffing agencies. Right. Uh, uh, but, the, but we do have to note that there is a union at this plant. Uh, from what I can tell, it is the UFCW. I, I'm not totally sure, but I was able to find a case uh, on the NLRB's website. I mean, you can't really, you know, if you Google, uh, you know, union at, at this plant, there's nothing that, that quickly comes up. But I was able to find an NLRB case from like 1968 involving this involving this facility and the union that represented workers there in the 60s, which was a... Uh, which was one of the unions that merged to form the UFCW. I think it was like a, a, the, the butchers and 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 cutters union or something, and and they they merged with somebody. And so by by all accounts, it is the UFCW that represents workers at this at this um, at this facility. And I haven't seen any statement from the UFCW on this. And that you know, I mean, that's just that's wild to me. That's wild to me. Okay, uh, Adam, you said we had a caller. Yeah, let's get the caller on the air here. All right. We've got a 256 caller. Hey, this is Luis. I am an organizer based in the Southeast, and I have uh, had extensive contact with some of our comrades on the ground in Mississippi, and I wanted to um, let you know what I've heard so that your listeners can kind of get context for what's going on in Mississippi. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so the first thing I'd like to say, again, just as outraged as you are, 
this is a child. How does this happen? It's the United States of America, right? It's the 21st century. A hundred years ago, we had an entire labor movement based around the idea that children should not have to work. They're supposed to protect these kids. Uh, and what's more egregious around what's going on in Mississippi is that this is a community that has been ravaged time and time again by these extreme uh, climate disasters, by ice raids, by poverty. So this is insult to injury to the general community of Jackson and Hattiesburg. Um, this child was working because he had to work, right? Because poverty in the system that we live in forced him to pro help provide for his family. This is not like a choice that some of these children make to have to go to work, right? Number one. Number two, the company knows on the ground. That's what organizers have told me. That's what our contacts with the community have said. Company knows that they're hiring children. They're willingly choosing to hire children, number one. Uh, another piece of context is in 20, I believe 2019, there was an immigration raid that absolutely devastated the entire region. I don't know if you remember um, if it was covered on your program or not, but there were about 800 workers in these very poultry plants that are in this uh, General Jackson area that were just, they were flooded with ICE officers and they arrested 800 people and they deported lots of people, working class people, laborers that were not part of the union, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm very grateful that you, you're making a shout out to the union shop that is um, at this poultry plant right now. And, and I would invite all of the unions, all of the folks that are listening, that are part of a union, to call the union that is at this shop and ask, why is the president of this union not in Mississippi right now? Why haven't they made any statements, right? A worker died at a union shop. Like, how is this possible? You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, it's, it's incredibly distressing. Um, there was just a giant uh, storm in Mississippi as well a few weeks ago. So the offices of several of the nonprofits have been devastated. So this community is like time and time again, things have happened that just further repress the community. And again, the context being that because of everything that's happened, the local immigrant community, many undocumented folks don't want to talk to OSHA. Don't want to talk to the police because they're afraid, rightfully right. so, that something is going to happen. You know, um, so it's it's a really terrible situation. There's um, a lot of attention, a lot of media coverage nationally that's descending upon Mississippi, and so I would ask for your listeners to to continue to uplift the story because this is not the first person in the last few years that has died at a factory in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of, of course not. And that's, um, you know, wh what you mentioned about the, uh, uh, the fact that, you know, the, these, the, the families are, are really in, in a lot of ways kind of pushed into these circumstances and that it's important to under like to, to <laughs> rather than criticizing the, the family, uh, for this, because, uh, because of their condition, 
it's important that we, uh, you know, the company is ultimately liable for this and and the society for, you know, for uh, for allowing people to, you know, <laughs> live in, in such destitute kind of poverty, even though they're working, even though, you know, in, in a household like this, it's almost certain that both of the parents were working. He was he may not have been the only child even working. And yet. They felt the need to, uh, you know, to have to have him work as well. It's just a really, really uh, sad state of affairs when companies like this make so much profits, especially over the course of the pandemic, taking advantage of inflation. And yet their workers are still, uh, you know, making in some cases even as low as eight, nine, ten, eleven dollars an hour. Uh, and that's just not oh, yeah. enough to support a family. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the really the 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 working conditions themselves at these poultry plants. I've been there myself. I've seen it with my very eyes. They're incredibly dangerous, right? Like number one, no child should be working in these types of places. It is against right. the law, right? And it is the company's responsibility to ensure number one that no children are working in their factory. Obviously, we've been fighting for it for a hundred years. Number two, that the places are safe. People don't have to die in factories. They're not supposed to anyway, right? We are not beholden to this capitalist system to have to sacrifice our children and our bodies for profit, right? The reason that this happened, the singular reason that a child that was 16-year-old, that was an immigrant, he was indigenous, he came to the United States fleeing violence, the reason that he died is because a company was seeking profit and they did not ensure the safety at the factory, period, end stop, right? So what I, what I want your listeners to hear from me and from my tone and from my community is that you need to be incredibly angry at this situation. You need to be enraged that children are working throughout the Southeast specifically at factories that are dangerous. And secondly, that they're dying, Right. Why are they not riots in the streets, right? Children are dying at factories. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Luis, thanks for the call. Is there anything else that you think folks ought to know about this situation, uh, uh, this community? Yeah, I would just amplify that there is a union, right, at this shop. I would say, again, uh, it's kind of shameful that they haven't shown up in a meaningful way so far. Um, I don't know what the what the situation is i can't speak to the specific union um that's there but i can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that the community there has not been touched by that union mm. and if the union is there it is the union's responsibility to show up for this community 100 percent um that's what solidarity means and if the union isn't doing that work right now they need, they need to get on it because they're losing a lot of credibility um, nationally. So uh, please send resources to the organization that you had uh, mentioned earlier because um, they, they need a lot of help right now. The Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity. Exactly, yeah, and I think that you can find the link on their webpage. Um, they're currently trying to organize on the ground and doing really transformational work uh, in that community. Thanks for the call, Louise. Appreciate it. Cheers.
With that, we're going to go ahead and go to a break. We're going to be right back with some updates on the writer's strike and more. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and family members are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough even to keep their jobs. We can fix this. It's time for us to find a way to close the health care coverage gap so that people can remain at work. Let's make this a priority. Let's close this gap and cover Alabama. To learn more and how you can help, visit CoverAlabama.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. The sign hit the city like a bolt of lightning. You know the photo. It's iconic. Marches in the streets holding a simple sign with a simple message. I am a man. The I Am Story podcast explores the fight that inspired those words. How a group of sanitation workers in Memphis stood up and made history. They don't see us as men and women. Go to IamStory.com or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, 
You need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senyard Law. The name with proven results. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor, and you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morris, and my co-host is Adam Keller. Uh, we've got a phone number if you want to participate in the show, 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can call in and get where Luis was just a few minutes ago. You can also text the show if you don't want to call or participate in our chat where we have Lots of folks hanging out and contributing to the conversation. Infinite Content, Hatcher, David, uh, another David, June Buggy, Colin, Zachary, DL Cindero, Infinite Content, Sam, Adam, Ad Visa Master, Shane, Sid. There's a lot of people hanging out and chatting. Thanks, everybody, uh, for tuning in. So uh, here's the next story. Or Well, before we get to the next story, we wanted to talk a little bit about the show. Uh, and like I said, at the top of the show, pre-orders are open for the new shirt. It's really cool. You should get it and give us money for it. TVLR.FM slash store. Um, and the, the, the material is really, really cool. Um, it, it's all it's American made all, and union labor. Yeah, hundred uh, percent and American materials. Sometimes you know print shops will be like it's union made, you know union labor, but the materials are outsourced or whatever. Uh, this is hundred percent American materials, hundred percent union made. It's really really cool. Um, the design was something that that we did. It was an in house design with support from a freelance artist that we paid, um, and uh, uh, the. It's a lot softer than the last one. It's a lot softer, and the graphic is going to be like more normal. Like it's it's matte, um, and it's just going to be better. And it's going to have a union bug on it, uh, like we try to have all of our merch has. Uh, like we try to make sure all of our merch has. Um, uh, also wanted to give a shout out to the Alabama State Building Trades Unions who invited us to speak at their convention last week. We really appreciate that. Appreciate the opportunity yeah, to, so. um, to uh, have a few free meals and <laughs> <laughs> to have a few free meals and uh, just to hang out with some good union folks and talk to them about the work that we are doing here. Uh, hopefully we have some of y'all hanging out with us this morning that uh, that we met last week and um, hoping to bring on some new sponsors as well as uh, some new guests and stories from uh, from those unions. Lots of really cool things are happening in the building trades uh, as well as in, in all the unions across the state and across the country. And, uh, and, and so one of the you know one of the reasons that we go out and do these do these talks is of course to, 
to try to build up support for the show and get more revenue so that we can continue doing what we're doing, but also just to reach out and tell people we're an outlet for working people. And if you have a story that is, uh, that's something cool that your union is doing for your members or for your community, or you want to put a boss on blast, we're the place to do that. Also wanted to, uh, you know, uh, let our regular listeners know that, um, and, and you may have kind of noticed this, that our audience, especially on YouTube, has really increased a lot. Like I said, just in the last month, we've got a thousand new subscribers. We have over a hundred thousand views on YouTube just in the last month, um, uh, uh, hundreds of watch hours, really, really cool. We were just profiled in the local news by WHNT. If you Google WHNT, the Valley Labor Report, uh, you can see our profile there, which is pretty neat. Uh, we do have a recurring guest segment on America's Workforce, uh, on America's Workforce, which is the longest-running union radio program in the country. It's been on the radio for 30 years, um, and is a daily talk show in Ohio. They're also on podcasts, uh, on as a podcast, and they are in the top 5% of podcasts. So that's really cool. Um, and, uh, uh, we've had some great guests lately. Yeah. We've had some really cool guests and, uh, really, you know, the, the growth in the audience, I think, has really taken off with our coverage of the Teamsters negotiations. And I think uh, a lot of Teamsters have, you know, felt comfortable calling mm -hmm. in and expressing their opinions. And that's been huge. And yeah. uh, the spring thing started to really pick up. We we had some big guests, Adolph Reed Jr. and Marianne Williamson, who, of course, is running for president. And so those got quite a bit of attention. But, you know, a lot of Teamsters are very, very engaged. And uh, just a lot of working people generally are really, mm -hmm. you know, curious about what's happening with the Teamsters and UPS. And I think ultimately, you know, supportive of our Teamsters can and, and what they're doing and trying to fight for a fair contract. So, you know, we're seeing that audience kind of translate uh, into the Valley Labor Report as well. And uh, I can't say the increased audience is increasing our budget necessarily, um, <laughs> which it is quite tight uh, around here these days. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Frankly, for, for being honest, we're not really in a great spot. Uh, we have several potential sponsors floating around, some delays in payment, uh, you know, some folks that are kind of on the fence. Um, so we, we could use a couple more main show sponsors and a couple more sponsors for Shop Talk. Uh, thank you, Labor Notes, for agreeing to be a sponsor there. Uh, and we could we could take sponsors for overtime as well. Uh, but for me, what's perhaps more important is that we grow our individual donor base uh, because that really, you know, if nothing else, it really means a lot uh, when regular working people chip in a couple bucks at a time. And so those regular contributions or even just the one-time contributions, it really goes a long way. Uh, a high percentage of our established audience already gives, and that does mean a lot, and we notice that and appreciate that. So we do hope some of the new viewers and listeners will consider giving us a few bucks if you can afford it. Uh, we do keep all of our stuff free, and it does cost more than free. Uh, <laughs> there are there are some yeah. significant costs associated with the production that we do. Uh, so it really only works if the folks that can contribute do contribute. 
So we do really appreciate that, and we don't take it lightly. Yeah. Uh, we also have uh, one new article on the site, and we're going to have some more coming up. But um, it is a really cool article. It is um, interviews with Starbucks workers from Boston who went on the largest largest strike in uh, Starbucks history. Uh, 64 days they were on strike. And um, so Jane Wong, uh, who has been a longtime supporter of the program and um, has uh, supported us as a contributing writer in the past few months, um, she did some interviews with them and... Uh, you know, gave them a place to tell their story about that, which is really, really cool. Uh, so definitely check that out. Go to tvlr.fm. You can read that. Uh, you can read that article. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as we we're just kind of wrapping up some updates for the show, I did want to thank our current sponsors, which is I IW four seventy seven, the Iron Workers Brothers and Sisters. We really uh, appreciate y'all. Y'all have been longtime supporters, and uh, we're big fans of what y'all do. Uh, but also want to thank uh, attorneys Jack Jacobs and Tommy Senyard. Jack I, Jacobs also been long time. Long I think that, time. Yeah. I think that the iron workers and, and and Jack Jacobs attorney at law. I think that those are the only two sponsors that have been with us literally since the beginning. I think that they were like the first people that were sponsoring the show that have continued on. You know, we've had some people come on and come off and come on again, uh, but those those two sponsors we're really grateful for, and they have been continuous sponsors the whole time. So that's Yeah, really, absolutely. Really, cool. really appreciate them alongside uh, IFPTE, AFGE, Lyona, UAW, RWDSU, IBEW558, Labor Nodes, and Unionly. So I uh, really appreciate all those sponsors. And last update is that we have a live show in the works this September mm. featuring some special guests. Uh, it's going to be a fun show. It's going to be, you know, a little bit like our, our normal show, but a little bit more uh, comedy involved, a little bit more lighthearted. Uh, we're we're going to have a good time. And so just stay tuned for the details on that. In September, we're going to do our very first live show in Huntsville. Yep, it's going to be a lot of fun. So let's get a quick update on the writer's strike. And um, we'll start the update with, you know, just a reminder that despite the fact that really the vast majority or the majority of, of this, you know, this this work um, acting and writing uh, for the media industry is done in New York and L.A., uh, it is done elsewhere, including in the South, particularly in Nashville and Atlanta. Um, and both places have had rallies uh, supporting, you know, supporting themselves, of course, and reminding their communities that, hey, we're here and we're on strike, too. And we're the people that make media in the South run. We're the people that, you know... Um, that do all this, not the uh, not the bosses and executives and owners in New York and L.A. And um, friend of the show, Eric of Tennessee on Twitter, went to the Nashville SAG-AFTRA rally and put together a little video uh, interviewing some of the participants and uh, getting some live footage of, of the rally. So let's take a look at, at that from Eric of Tennessee on Twitter.
gonna be able to come on table, pay our rent, pay our mortgage, not have to juggle every month. It takes $26,000 of earnings to qualify for our health insurance. 86% of our members didn't make it. They didn't earn enough, and that's because we're not getting any piece of the pie. The jig is up. Really cool stuff. Um, appreciate Eric of Tennessee doing stuff like that. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, really good stuff. And she, you know, some of that's uh, the the interviewee, the president of the local union of SAG-AFTRA in Nashville, spoke to some of the issues and also emphasized the fact that is really not understood enough is that the majority of these people on strike are not uh, people like Meryl Streep. Or um, George Clooney, you Tom know, million, Cruise. Tom Cruise, these millionaires who are who are uh, in their capacity as actors, they are workers and they are paid for the value that they create and bring to the table, right? Um, but they are uh, very, very highly compensated, and you know, I think probably in a just society, they would have uh, you know more of that money redistributed. Uh, but nevertheless, they're workers and and they're on strike, but. The majority, the vast, vast majority of the people on strike are not in that position. Uh, and they're not even making from their acting gigs or from their writing gigs enough to make a living. And so they have to work part-time jobs uh, in, in other places to really pursue this dream and, and, and to try to make it a reality, something that is sustainable. And, and that is, is just simply not understood enough. And, and that, that stat that she said is so important. 86%, 86% of SAG-AFTRA members make less than $26,000 a year. Okay, so these are people that are really, really hustling and grinding, uh, not only working second and third and maybe fourth jobs, but also putting in so, so much unpaid labor. And, and, and in fact, even paying for labor in some cases, you know, taking these acting classes and, and all that kind of stuff, but doing unpaid work just for, quote unquote, the experience or for bylines so that they can pad their, you know, build up their resume. I have a friend here locally who is uh, who she is an actor and and has, you know, ambitions of, of doing some producerial work and stuff like that. And and she did. Uh, she was an assistant producer, a co-producer on a short film that went to film festivals and stuff for no money. Like <laughs> literally she did it for free. She had to travel out of town. She had to do all sorts of nonsense for free. Just so, just so that she could have that on her resume so that maybe next time she can get paid $50 for the project or something. I mean, it's, it's crazy how much work they put into this and, and, you know, how little of the money that they get from it. But also, it's really important to note that the artificial intelligence aspect of this is huge. They're wanting to be able to scan background actors and then use their likeness uh, without consent, without compensation, 
forever in perpetuity <laughs> into eternity. I mean, you know, it's it, uh, that's insane. And that will cut out. I mean, that will make background actors almost irrelevant, which will therefore make it that much more difficult to break into uh, to break into uh, bigger roles as an actor um, because you have less opportunities to get in front of a director um, and because that money from being a background actor can help sustain you as well. And if, if that's one less you know way to get money, then that's one less way for normal people to break into this industry. And you're going to have the industry will be even more than it is more and more saturated with nepo babies and stuff like that and that's and and you know we, we see this in in all sorts of places in our society you know p places uh like DC where politicians have unpaid internships who can do unpaid internships the children of congress people right the children of their staff the children of their donors right not normal people not working people we can't afford to take a summer doing working in some cases more than 40 hours a week for no pay. And, and so, you know, that it, the same goes for the acting industry is, it's just, it, it is, uh, the, the less money that, that people near the bottom or the lower mid tier get, the more difficult it is for normal folks to break into the industry. And here's some more, uh, some more details. SAG released an overview of where things stand with the contract negotiations. So they, uh, they have these two columns on these, this dozen pieces of paper. It's a, it's a dozen page document. And, um, and in, in the one column, it says the issue and then SAG's, uh, proposal. And then it has in the other column, the company's, uh, uh, counteroffer. And there are so many, you know, you go down the list. SAG is asking, asking for this, rejected. SAG is asking for this, rejected. SAG is asking for that, rejected. And one of those things is new media revenue sharing. Bringing new media into, just bringing it into the revenue program that already exists for old media. Just straight up rejected. No counteroffer or anything, just rejected. Um, here's another thing. Uh, the, the raises, that, that they are asking for. 11% uh, in the first year, 4% in the second year, 4% in the third year, which will only barely and really not even keep up with inflation uh, uh, over the pandemic. But the media companies didn't want to do that. They offered 5, 4, and 3.5. Not simply not enough to make up for inflation. And they'll be, mm. and, and under that contract, the actors would be making less than they did uh, before the pandemic in real, in real dollars. Um, another issue was per diem. Their per diem allowance has not increased since 2001. So wow. SAG was, uh, their proposal was, uh, increase it for inflation. <laughs> you know, a lot has changed in 22, 23 years. Uh, and also to pay the money that you are obligated to pay us because there has apparently been a lot of issues in the industry with even getting the meager per diem that's in the contract. There's been issues with, with just lack of payment and late payments. Um, and so they said, okay, one, we want to increase it. And then also we want you to comply. Um, <laughs> and then, so uh, the counter offer was we'll increase it, but not as much to inflation. So you're still going to be getting less for meals than you were in 2001 
in real dollars. And also they didn't address the the compliance issues. And so, you know, the the uh, implication there is like, now we're just going to keep like screwing you over on these payments. Uh, And, and, you know, really, really crazy stuff. Um, Certainly all solidarity with the actors and the writers. Um, And here's hoping that they uh, uh, they get a good contract. I think that this is one that's going to last a little a little while. So um, they have a they have a good FAQ for people on their website uh, how to support. So you can Google, you know, SAG strike FAQ and it'll take you there. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've, I've seen a lot of people asking questions like, you know, should I still go to the movies? Like, am I allowed to go mm-hmm. see, you know, the new Barbie movie or whatever? Uh, and it's my understanding that nobody has called for any sort of boycott Correct. like that. Um, and so, you know, that's totally cool. In fact, you know, probably would be a good thing yeah. uh, to support the work that's already out there. Um, you know, I've seen where Mark Ruffalo is talking about, you know, maybe the act- more actors can do independent works mm-hmm. and just sort of, you know, bypass the studios. Right. Uh, and I think that's interesting. And one uh, of the things that SAG has done, in fact, is, and I think maybe you said this this morning or you sent it to me, they have approved interim agreements with 24 independent film studios that are that are the terms that they're asking for from the major studios. And right. these independent studios are like, yeah, we can meet that. That's super reasonable. And so they're so SAG actors are able to go work for these studios under the conditions that they're asking for um for from from the bigger studios and and that is that's helpful in multiple ways. One because it's helpful for for the actors to have some amount of money. And also it's kind of prefigurative politics uh uh in in a way. You know, it's showing that what we're asking for is not unreasonable and right. it is in fact so reasonable that much smaller studios are able to comply right. uh, so much smaller studios yeah. with much smaller resources and budgets that yeah. are able to do this right so it's not impossible um the studios have a tremendous amount of wealth and they absolutely can't afford to settle a fair contract and uh yeah i'm with you you know certainly extend my solidarity with the actors and writers and i hope that they can uh lift each other up in this struggle absolutely um we are at uh, 67 people watching live and 31 likes. Let's get those numbers up oh, if yeah, we can. For sure, for we sure. really appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Also, if you tuned in for the conversation with the United States Football League player and the executive director of the union, uh, we did have to scrap that. The something came up for the player, um, and so he wasn't able to come on. And the union really wanted to have a player uh, on, and and we really wanted to have a player on uh, to get their perspective, and also to kind of like talk shop, like talk about the season, learn about what happened there uh, with, with the season and some of the stuff. And so, um, uh, so something came up; they weren't able to make it, so we're going to reschedule that interview. Hopefully, bring it to you sooner rather than later, but yeah, on absolutely. a different day. And so, the thing that we highlighted in the top, in the title and the thumbnail was the updates on UPS. And so, let's get to that really quickly. Um, and the biggest update is that. UPS has agreed to come back to the table after uh, after pressure from the Teamsters unions, pri- uh, the Teamster union uh, practice pickets all across the country. Um, you know, uh, uh, 
the workers showing what it will look like when they go on strike, you know, going off duty, uh, not asking anybody to, you know, not work or, or for a consumer boycott or anything like that. But just, you know, practicing how the how the picket line works, because, uh, you know, uh, strikes are pretty infrequent. And the last one was in 1997. So there's a lot of people at UPS who haven't been through a strike. They don't know what to do. They don't know what the rules are. They don't know what best practices are. And so this is a really good opportunity just for logistically to get people in the rhythm. Right. But also uh, also, again, to show that the union means business. They are not just screwing around. They are ready to strike and they will if necessary. And so that's what those practice pickets are all about. And uh, another thing that was really important in the last week is the pilots union. Uh, they said that they are going to honor the picket lines. They will not be flying UPS, uh, UPS work during a strike which is huge. And and it's huge uh, for one, because the pilots are not represented by the Teamsters. It is a different union. Um, also, it is huge because despite them having a no-strike clause, so they're not going to go on strike, they're just not going to cross a picket line, which I have recently learned is every employee's, every worker's individual right under the National Labor Relations Act. You can never be forced uh, on uh, as a condition of your employment to cross a picket line. Uh, so that's something that more and more people should really be taking advantage of, and this pilots union is going to be taking advantage of it. So 3,300 pilots have... Um, uh, their union has said, we're going to not be crossing the picket line. We're not going to be flying UPS stuff if there is a strike, which puts that much more pressure on UPS. And so I think really that the pilots and the practice picket situations, you know, showing that, you know, the, the workers here are, are really, they're ready for a strike. Um, that kind of stuff is all really coming together to bring UPS to the table. And so uh, they did come to the table and they are going to be meeting again for negotiations on July the 25th, which is Wednesday, I believe. Um, let's see, Sunday's the 23rd, Monday's the 24th, Tuesday's the 25th. Okay, so it's on Tuesday, uh, which only gives seven days seven days to hammer out the rest of the contract. Uh, Teamsters International President Sean O'Brien has said that they are uh, basically there on 95% of the contract, but on the 5% that's left, the wages and, and uh, the, the full-time jobs and things like this, they're still really far apart on. Um, so far apart, in fact, that you'll remember the UPS proposal was leaked and the UPS economic proposal was to cut the top tier of package car driver pay 25% after record profits, right? They're not even offering concessionary raises. They're not offering raises that are less than inflation. They're saying, no, in fact, what we need to do is cut pay by 25%. The Teamsters said this at the time. Multiple Teamsters called into the show and agreed that that is an insult uh, really just a spit in the face to the people who create the value uh, for UPS, who actually deliver the packages for UPS, um, and to the union that they're a part of. And so uh, so they walked away uh, from that and, and uh, came back later, and there was still not any movement. And so UPS walked away from the table, uh, refused to bargain until uh, this week. And so we're going to see what happens. We are also... Um, 
tentatively going to be talking to Teddy Ostro again on the 29th on um, on that Saturday because on the 29th we're only going to be two days away from a potential UPS Teamster strike and so he's going to give us the latest and greatest on that and and see um, uh, and and you know we're going to see if we can kind of look into the crystal ball and and see if there's going to be a strike or not um a uh you know obviously i think that uh i think that a strike would be um it would be it it it, it would be educational for the american public to see what a strike can do but also i do think that that it would be almost ed- as educational if they're just able to get a good contract after a credible strike threat, you know, uh, because a lot of times that's all it really takes is a credible strike threat. If you uh, demand something and your boss, your employer does not believe that you're willing to stand up for it, then um, then they are much more likely to just say no. But if you demand something and you show that you are not only saying that you're willing to, you know, put some amount of risk on the table, you're willing to cost them a lot of money, then they're much more likely to comply. They're much more likely to buckle. And so, uh, you know, I think that's what we're seeing with UPS, uh, with the movement that we're seeing. And so we will, uh, uh, we're just going to have to see if it's enough to keep the uh, rank and file UPS workers from, from striking. Yeah, absolutely. And a couple other things I wanted to mention in terms of the struggle. Uh, it's worth noting that Teamsters are, are picketing Amazon locations across the country uh, throughout this 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 fight, right? In a, in a separate fight that's happening at the same time, though, uh, and ultimately it's all the same fight to, to unionize workers in the logistics industry, in the transportation industry. Uh, and so shout out to those Teamsters that are organizing the drivers of Amazon, of course, not employed directly by Amazon, naturally, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, they are fighting for a union for a contract. They are fighting uh, to spread it across the country and to be recognized uh, for Amazon to be recognized as a joint employer. Uh, and so those pickets have kind of popped up. They started in California and they've started to spread. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. And also wanted to mention that this week, uh, Teamsters President Sean O'Brien asked United States President Joe Biden. Mm to uh, stay out of it. Uh, that That's we, also huge. We that, do remember what happened yeah. with the rail workers, and we remember how the Biden White House and Congress, uh, unfortunately, folks from both parties, certainly not everyone in Congress, but the majority of Congress, uh, sided with the Biden White House in undercutting the rail workers and denying them their, in my opinion, human right to withhold their labor and so, uh, yeah, pre- I appreciate uh, Sean O'Brien for, for doing that, for, you know, making a statement to the White House. Uh, I know the initial response from the White House press was kind of noncommittal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, it obviously is a much different scenario because rail workers and airline workers fall under a different set of laws. Uh, and so for the president, and Congress to intervene like they did in the rail workers struggle uh, would look different, would be a little right. bit harder for them to pull off. But um, certainly you know, not impossible. And it uh, certainly and it indicates that at least among the Teamsters and, and hopefully among more and more of our labor movement, uh, there is some skepticism about right. this administration and, and its approach to labor uh, behind some of the rhetoric. You know, it, what matters is what really happens. 
And so uh, we'll see what happens there, but I just wanted to lift that up. And it's also, you know, on a similar note, Bernie Sanders, with uh, several other members of Congress, put out a letter uh, stating that they would not support, um, they would not support legislation or anything to... um, Uh, to intervene in the case of a strike. Uh, His tweet from July the 19th said, Today I sent a letter with nearly 200 colleagues in the Senate and House with a simple message. All workers, including UPS Teamsters, deserve fair wages, safe conditions, and decent benefits. If a bargaining agreement cannot be reached, we will not intervene if UPS workers strike. Uh, That's a lot of pressure a lot of pressure from both the Teamsters and now from uh, the more worker-friendly flank of the Democratic Party uh, on Biden and the more business-friendly <laughs> part of the Democratic Party to not intervene, to, uh, exactly as you said, Adam, to allow these workers to exercise their constitutional right to strike and their uh, federally protected right under the National Labor Relations Act. Um, so very important that, uh, uh, that Congress, that the White House not intervene, and very good to see support uh, from some members of Congress uh, for, uh, for not intervening. And that's what, you know, and, and that's, somebody asked, when we mentioned last week about AOC being at a rally that uh, Teamsters uh, had with Sean Fain, uh, of the UAW, AOC was there. She spoke, and somebody was like, "Oh, well, you know, he just told uh, Biden to stay out of it, but now there's a politician speaking at a rally. What's up with that? Do you want politicians to participate or not?" Uh, and and you know, it's, it's totally different for a politician to come out and support you and say, "I'm not going to stop you from striking." That's totally different from than telling a politician. To not intervene. You know, I just, right. I, that was a really weird. In fact, I think they would probably prefer they go to a pro UPS rally than actually intervene in the right. negotiations. Because <laughs> uh, at least in that sense, you'd be, uh, you know, a little bit honest uh, about where you saw, uh, you know, where you stand. But uh, yeah, I, I think that to me, it's, it is different. Yeah, it, it's different and, you know, uh, totally fine. And to... I think it's, it's debatable on, you know, well, which politicians do you allow to come to your rally? Like, does it help? Does it alienate people? Mm. You know, there's a lot that goes into that. Right. And it's complicated and messy. And, and, you know, it's easy to Monday morning uh, quarterback that kind of decision. But uh, it is different, you know, just appearing at the rally, offering support and solidarity versus uh, actually intervening and, (laughs) you know, sticking your nose in the business. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. Well, let's go ahead and head to our second break, and then we'll come back and wrap the show up. Just a reminder, our phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can call in, participate in the show, send us a text message. Um, We'll be right back to finish up the main show before we go into overtime. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and neighbors are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough to keep their jobs. We need to fix this. Let's close the health care coverage gap. To learn more, visit CoverAlabama.org. 
Support for this program also comes from the Ironworkers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower-than-average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, Or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long-term, if you need Ironworkers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senyard. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senyard Law. The name with proven results. Do you work in an auto manufacturing plant? Are you tired of taking pride in your work without getting the respect you deserve? Consider joining the fight to unionize. 
Auto workers across the industry are coming together because with a union, we can negotiate for the pay, benefits, and security that we deserve and can help sustain our families. In union plants, workers bargain for long-term wage increases, competitive bonuses, and more affordable benefits. You can join the growing wave of organizing today. Find out more and contact us at Uniting Auto Workers on Facebook or contact UAW Region 8 in Lebanon, Tennessee by going to www.uawregion8.net. That's www.uawregion, the number 8, dot N-E-T. A better future is ours. I'm on Newport Workers, good news to you, I'll tell. How the good old union has come in here to dwell. Alabama's only union talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report, and my name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller, and we're broadcasting live, online, and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, we have a we have a question in the chat that I want to that that I want to answer because I think it's a good question, and this this may actually I had something else lined up, uh, but this may be the last segment of the show. Uh, Alex asks, uh, and and presumably Alex is a UPS teamster. I know a coworker that's going to cross the picket line. What do I do? I'm no snitch, but I also don't want to be a uh, don't want a scab. And when you say I don't want a scab, presumably the you know. I don't want to be friends with a scab is what you mean, or I don't want uh, somebody uh, in my facility to be a scab. And so what do you do if you have a coworker that is intending on crossing the picket line? I think that's a very important conversation, and this is the time to have it because um, it it gets much, much harder to have these conversations after they have decided to scab. Right. Um, uh, but, you know, so, uh, which is not to say that forgiveness for scabbing is impossible, uh, but, but it is very difficult. Um, uh, you know, one instance of, of forgiveness, uh, for a scab that I found really powerful was from the 1987 paper strike at the Androscoggin International Paper Mill in Maine, uh, where, they had, uh, you know, they had Wednesday meetings, Wednesday evening meetings to talk about, to have rallies, to have songs and updates on the updates on negotiations. And um, and there was a fellow who had crossed the picket line and who publicly who, who got up there and publicly spoke about, you know, um, uh, publicly apologized and taught and, and, you know, said that, that you know, it was uh you know, I, I was scared. It was a moment of weakness, and I'm so sorry that I did this. And and you know, I'm never going to cross picket line again. And he's you know, he's crying. And I, and from the testimonials in you know, in all the books that I've read about that strike, uh, everybody else was uh, you know was really emotional as well, and and they accepted him. And and so it was a really kind of uh, a, a growing moment for this worker, and 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 a powerful moment of of solidarity and redemption and forgiveness for the union. Uh, but that's obviously not always the way that it works, right? Um, so, and this is what I said in the chat. I think that really the only thing to do right now, the only thing that you can do is is to educate them about the importance of solidarity. And, you know, presumably, 
this may not be the case, but presumably one of the reasons that your coworker may be interested in scabbing is that maybe he thinks, oh, we've got it so good now. Why would I want more? Uh, my coworkers who are willing to strike are just being greedy. And um, if that's his thinking, if that's his reasoning, then he, somebody just needs to explain to him that they didn't, that, that your predecessors in the Teamsters at UPS did not get what they have now by lying down. They didn't get what they have now by just accepting whatever it was that UPS was willing to give them. They were willing and did go on strike to demand that UPS give them what they're worth and give them more of the value that they create. And, and that's the only way that you get something like that. I mean, $40 an hour for a package car driver, that is some of the highest pay in the industry. But they didn't get that by lying down. And of course, there are things, there are some complicating factors. There is the fact that there is lots of forced overtime, um, you know, and, and it's not just all sunshine and roses, even for the people at the top of the progression uh, scale. And it's also important to note that the vast majority of workers at UPS are part-time and do not make anywhere near $40 an hour. Many of them don't even make $20 an hour. And so, you know, but the people who do, they didn't get that. They didn't get that by lying down. And so the only way that you're going to keep what you have and the only way that you're going to be able to get more is by is by uh, being willing to strike. And it's also scabbing is a betrayal of your community, of your coworkers. Um, it, it, it's just it's a it's a terribly, terribly selfish and greedy and uh, 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 you know treasonous thing to do. Um, it, it, it you know, you're I mean you're really literally undercutting the very people that you're going to have to work with after the strike. You are materially contributing to the boss's campaign to destroy the union when you scab. You are, you are, and and there's a lot more we could dive into there. I mean, there's direct economic impact, right? Because when you scab, you undermine the leverage that your coworkers have, right? And so whatever short-term benefits you may gain will not pay off in the long run, right? Because in the long run, you're undermining everyone in your situation, right? And so... You're undermining that leverage and power of the workers uh, and not just workers in general, right? Like the working class, but mm -hmm. literally the workers in your industry, in your field of work, like what you do for a living, right? You're undermining that. You're undercutting that. You're lowering the standard that you will be held to in your future, right? Yeah. So even if you're not into the other aspects of, of solidarity, even if you're not really concerned about the ethical implica implications, the moral implications, mm -hmm. the spiritual implications of this, on a direct material economic impact, scabbing is going to hurt you in the long run, right? So maybe that works with mm -hmm. this particular worker. Uh, maybe they need to recognize that there are serious consequences 
right? In, in terms of their reputation, in terms of their ability to uh, get work in the future, in terms of their ability to have relationships with folks in the future, there are real consequences, mm -hmm. both formal and informal. And so, uh, you know, that's important to recognize. And you're leading the race to the bottom. You are leading the race to the bottom. And, and something I, I just I want to get out there is that it's easy to beat up on, on these people. And um, the thing is, obviously, there's a lot of money and time and resources invested in getting people to think that way, mm -hmm. in getting people to think of themselves as these atomized individuals who have no you know, interest in the broader society or their community or what happens to other people. And I just, I think that, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but I believe that there's something else out there. I believe that there is a greater good, call it whatever you want, but yeah. there's something out there that binds us all together. And so it's important that you look out for one another and by betraying your coworkers, you know, you're not only stabbing them in the back, you're ultimately hurting yourself as well. And and you're undermining the solidarity of your the coworkers in your facility, but more broadly, working people in our country and in our world. Mm -hmm. And so there are real consequences to that. Uh, I know there's a lot of pressure on people to pay their bills and to find a way to hustle and, and, and make it work, right? And I get that. And we all are faced with constrained choices in this system. And often the choices that ordinary working people have on the table are not very good choices. Right. Uh, often we have varying degrees of bad choices to choose from. Uh, but don't make that choice. Don't make that choice. You right. can do better uh, and, you know, I know folks are listening, thinking, well, okay, well, who's going to pay their bills? Um, you'd be surprised. Yes. You'd be surprised if you remain devoted mm -hmm. to the movement, what the movement can bring to you. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and it, and, and it is worth mentioning that the Teamsters do have strike pay. They right. have strike pay. It's Absolutely. obviously not what you would be getting if you were working. But I think it's I think the Teamsters have some of the some of the higher strike pay. I think it's like four hundred dollars a week, maybe. Um, you know, you if, if you're a UPS Teamster, ask your local president about that. Ask your business agent about that. But I think it's something like four hundred dollars a week. I believe it starts on day one, and so um, you know, it's not like you're just going to be left out totally high and dry. Um, they will have um, some uh, disaster health insurance that you can uh, you can come uh, uh, you can uh, get onto. Um, the local local unions often have fundraisers uh, to help particular members that are particularly you know um, uh, financially stressed right. you know and so if that is you out there if you're listening and, and you're I, you're thinking i don't know how i can make it through a strike talk to your union and talk, talk to, your to your co-workers talk to your local union say i am financially incapable of making it through a prolonged strike i need help and people will be willing to help you um Something that uh, international president of the United Mine Workers of America, Cecil Roberts, his one of his messages to the scabs in Brookwood was, um, you know, you you may think that oh, you know, twenty or what, however much dollars an hour you're making to scab, that these people are asking for too much. 
If you're willing to be a $20 crowd, there's a $15 crowd waiting to undercut you. And there's a $10 crowd waiting to undercut them, right? You're leading the race to the bottom if you, um, if you take the boss's side in a strike. So don't do that. Uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, every week, we have a second half of the show. So we're wrapping up the main show. We're wrap wrapping up the first half. But we are still going to be on the air for another hour and a half online on Facebook and YouTube. So find us at the Valley Labor Report there, and you can continue watching the show. We're going to have some great stuff. We're going to take a look at some more TikToks. There's another scab TikTok influencer that we're going to talk about. It's going to be fun. Uh, then we've got a better TikTok, uh, just to show you that not everybody on TikTok is a, you know, a parasitic ghoul. Um, and we're going to be talking to Will from Jobs to Move America about community benefit agreements. Lots of good stuff to, um, to talk about in overtime. So make sure that you follow us there. Um, also, uh, Labor Notes, they're always hosting online trainings. You can go to uh, labornotes, labornotes.org to see what they have. Um, they are, uh, this week, or, or this month, they're having a caucus how-to. Um, a rank-and-file reform caucus is a group of members who set out to transform the union, establishing a new vision and organizing to make it real. Um, uh, that's going to be on August 9th. So if you're interested in, in trying to build up uh, you know, a, a, a caucus that is maybe more effective in your union, then consider that training. Uh, this Wednesday, July the 26th, there's a Creative Arts Youth Summer Camp at Flint River Church in CWA 3905 Union Steward in Huntsville. Joseph Barker is going to be teaching a cooking class for the kiddos, so that's going to be really cool. Uh, on Tuesday, July 25th, the AFL-CIO is going to have a immigrant worker protection training. Uh, check out their website for more on that. Um, and with that, we're going to go ahead and head into overtime. So stay tuned. See you next week.